Hello, Isao. What's up? I'm Ildi. Okay. <laughs> nice to see you. How are you doing? A while ago, I went to Davis to visit Isao Fujimoto, a longtime activist and Japanese-American scholar with a really deep understanding of California farming. We talked at his kitchen table that day about a story I've been interested in for years, really. The most popular cherry is called the Bing cherry. It wasn't named for Bing Crosby. It was named for Ah Bing, a Chinese. All right. So you could just see where does food come from and who, how is it produced in every stage, whether it's seeding, names, um, production, um, in terms of finished products. The different people have contributed to this. Isao and I talked a lot that day about the wave after wave of immigrants to California's Central Valley who built the huge farming industry there. The diversity of the valley is dizzying. The contributions that immigrants have made to agriculture are as massive as the business itself, in spite of an almost total lack of recognition of immigrant innovations in farming. If I'm being honest, this story is probably way too big for a Calag Roots podcast. I realized that that day, talking with Isao. And I talked with another farming family around that same time, the Masumotos, who are peach farmers in Delray, California. And the result was a story that I really liked um, about Japanese farmers in California. It's podcast number four. It's called Founding Farmers. And you should check it out if you haven't already. But I never got to the production of this larger story about the waves of immigrants to the valley. And I got swept up into other projects that I could actually get my hands around at the time. And then this spring, we had the opportunity to organize our second major live Calag Roots event. We hosted it in Merced, in the heart of the Central Valley. And we decided to call it Borderlands of the San Joaquin Valley, inspired by the feminist scholar Gloria Anseltua and her book called Borderlands. We invited a whole bunch of different kinds of storytellers and performers. There were historians and activists. There were musicians and actors and poets. And they were all from the valley, or all living and working in the valley. And we asked them to share with us their truths in their own voices that night on stage, and to reflect on what it means that all those cultures intersect in the valley, and that immigrants have really built the agricultural system that shapes that valley. Despite those billboards that say farmers feed the world, there's a far less glamorous group of farmers that are feeding the community. It's a landscape that has been shaped by wave after wave of immigrants, right? From the Chinese to the Japanese to the Filipinos to the Portuguese to the Armenians to the Sikhs to the Hmong, dozens of groups of people from all around the globe, really, have dug their shovels and their fingers into California dirt. We are gathered at the Filipino Hall at sunset, the sweet-smelling ladies of the Society of Mary, Kui Motherly, to a Chicanita in Tagalog. What we heard that night blew me away. It was so moving that I'm dedicating the next handful of Calag Roots podcasts to sharing the Borderlands stories that were told that night. I'm Ildi Carlisle Cummins, and this is the Calag Roots podcast. Calag Roots is unearthing stories about important moments in the history of California farming in order to shed some light on current issues in agriculture. Check it out online at www.agroots.org.
Welcome to Borderlands of the San Joaquin Valley. In this podcast, you're going to get a kind of Borderlands of the San Joaquin Valley preview. First, you'll hear a framing audio piece that I performed live on stage at the top of the night. I wove in audio clips that I had recorded with one of my absolute favorite people, the community organizer and extraordinary environmental justice advocate, Janaki Jagannath. She was in the room that night and had built a gorgeous altar honoring farm workers of the valley that I refer to in the audio piece. That piece is followed by one of the last performances of the night. And I think it's fair to say that Aidid Medina and Marisol Baca pretty much took everyone's breath away with their collaborative poems. Sprinkled throughout this podcast episode are songs performed on guitar by the amazing Lupe Martinez, who's a longtime Valley labor organizer and activist himself. I hope this episode transports you like the whole Borderlands event did for me. I hope you'll indulge me in a little bit of audio storytelling to kick us off. But I wanted to, to set the scene a little bit for us here in this great agricultural empire, the San Joaquin Valley. And um, of course, this story that I'm going to tell you has to start in a farm field. That's the papalo that's growing over there. This is a herb that he grows as a specialty. Oh. In the middle here? Yeah, right here in the middle. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What does that even smell like? I don't know who here has smelled papalo, this Oaxacan herb, but it, it smells amazing. That smelled amazing. I wish I could bring the smell into the room right now. Um, but even, or you know, maybe especially because I was there in that farm field with Janaki um, on this meltingly hot summer day, um, it was 103 degrees according to the high school marquee at Kerman High School where we, where we passed, um, passed on the way out to the farm. So we just drove west from Fresno for about 20 minutes and on the 180 past uh, many many larger farms of almonds corn other row crop and landed up here on one of the few small farms that's visible from this main road and we were there that day because this splash of color had caught Janaki's eye and you might know from the altar that she built Janaki is uh, a lot about color, a lot about beauty. The marigold is my favorite flower, and I am a novice plant breeder, and I grow marigolds myself. And um, I was driving out to a community group that was dealing with a drinking water challenge out in the west side when I passed by this beautiful you know, spark of orange uh, in my peripheral vision on my left and I saw this big, beautiful swath of marigolds. So I pulled over and got out and, and spoke with Antonio, who is out there. Um, he was, you know, doing, cultivating his chiles and uh, pulling weeds and stuff. And he had two acres at that point of chilies and tomatoes. And um, he was also growing some Oaxacan herbs, papalo and stuff like that, that you can't normally get and of course these beautiful marigolds for the Day of the Dead that his mother brought from Oaxaca. And 
it just like you know when I got out of the car I could I looked across the street to this huge almond or- orchard where the soil was looked like sand and it was silent there was no no insect activity going on there and in Antonio's farm I could like hear this buzz of not only insect life but there were kids his kids were there his family was out there he was there I could go and talk with a farmer and I could buy what what product he was growing there and I bought some marigolds right there on the spot so we're here tonight in this heart of California's agricultural empire, the Great Central Valley, and it's a landscape that has been shaped by wave after wave of immigrants, right? From the Chinese to the Japanese to the Filipinos to the Portuguese to the Armenians to the Sikhs to the Hmong, dozens of groups of people, that's certainly not a full list, from all around the globe, really, have dug their shovels and their fingers into California dirt and they planted seeds and cuttings with their machines and with their hands, and they've carved irrigation furrows and ditches with their tools and their sweat, and they've tended this craggy, sandy, sometimes, cropland until it burst with bounty. And this history certainly hasn't ended. These waves are still breaking, they're still crashing, they're still shaping the land in the farm field where Jonaki and I stood that day. When we're talking about these small farmers who are at the frontier of agricultural innovation right here in Fresno County and in the San Joaquin Valley. Many of them are experimenting out of necessity and a lot of them are filling the gap that co-op extension maybe hasn't been filling in the past or that Western agricultural science has not been filling in the past in terms of innovating and experimenting around agroecological methods to produce fresh fruits and vegetables on a local scale involving pollinators and local market opportunities, um, forms of water conservation, forms of soil building, um, basically bringing all of those pieces of the system to bear in the process of food production. So there's this really stubborn, pernicious myth that masks that truth, though. This truth that these small farmers are scratching out this, this living and doing this agricultural experimentation at the frontier of farming. Um, if we learn about California agriculture at all, we often learn about technological miracles and about landscapes transformed through a massive infusion of science and money. And if we picture the farms behind our supermarket abundance at all, we often picture white farmers, we often picture male farmers, um, sort of, you know, the, the image of old McDonald and a quaint red barn is still with us. And if we think about who harvests our food at all, we think about Mexican workers, we think about anonymous workers hunched over um, with their faces covered. Antonio? Hey, is that him? <laughs> that was a little hard to hear, but Jonaki says, Antonio, is that you? And it wasn't Antonio. There's Antonio on our screen there, but who we saw that day was actually his brother, Junior. But Junior was there on the farm with us, the family operation, and he pointed to a habanero crop that hadn't done well that year, and then he gestured to the herb, papalo, that sprouted in between the chilies. I can't remember, but I think my mom brought the seeds from Mexico. 
and then we just throw it in there just to see if it can uh, grow and it's, it, it it came like really good well i guess like as you can see like all around like basically almonds uh like graves all the stuff you don't see that much like they plant squash or i mean squash or habaneros uh -huh. i mean they're all like big farmers right here mm -hmm. you know that's uh, kind of a little different yeah. from what we're doing. You could say that kind of the San Joaquin Valley is reflective of the larger trends of Western agricultural science in the sense that when you drive out, you know, west of here, here when you're here in Fresno, um, what you're going to see is just acres upon acres of commodity crops. And that covers a huge amount of our valley. And some of the farmers we're talk talking about are tucked away in the nooks and crannies of those orchards and are experimenting with capital that they don't have, you know, really putting um, their production on the line and that's because they're doing it with capital um, in the form of their family's work and their, their own traditional knowledge. So as we'll hear all night long tonight, um, the truth is so much richer than the tired myths that we hear. Not only is the Central Valley one of the most diverse places in the U.S., but the immigrants arriving here through the centuries brought something with them besides capable hands and strong bodies, right? That traditional knowledge that John Aki just talked about. A lot of them, yes, were funneled into industrial agricultural systems and became this key input for California growers as they implemented their crop plans. But many of them also came and are coming to California from rural areas, from the plains of Laos, from the mountains of Oaxaca, from the Azor Islands, and they have this really deep knowledge about how to grow food. Another way is possible, and that there are farmers that should be invested in who are actually doing the job of producing fresh fruits and vegetables for the community, despite those, um, those billboards that say, farmers feed the world, there's a far less glamorous group of farmers that are feeding the community. And their farming wisdom really shaped the industry in a lot of small and really big ways. As I mentioned earlier, um, the iconic Bing cherry is named for the Chinese farmer who first bred them, right? A Japanese farmer was the one who invented the strawberry basket that allowed that fragile fruit to get to market. Without that, you have, without that basket, you have mush. Um, the Filipino farm workers were striking and union organizing in farm fields um, as the UFW launched and even before it. Um, Portuguese immigrants invented California's dairy industry and by the 60s were producing more than 90% of the milk in the state. Um, and because those stories are textured, they're vibrant, and they reflect reality a lot more than the glossy, tech-worshipping stories of powerful agricultural magnates that we hear um, they crack open this myth of California farming. And so telling, telling these stories and telling them loudly and telling them often um, really seems like the, the only way to understand this place and the only way to recognize that, you know, that immigrants continue to build the landscapes that we travel in every day. The second piece I'd like to share with you from Borderlands of the San Joaquin Valley is from two poets, Aidid Medina and Marisol Baca. 
Let's listen to Marisol reflect a little bit about why she chose to collaborate with IDEED before we hear the stunning results of that work. My name is Marisol Baca, and um, with me here is Aidid Medina. In this collaboration today, I'd like to speak to how collaboration should be seen as a tiny act of revolution to show that our labor, often devalued, misunderstood, made invisible by the great industrialization and sterilization of our voices, our labor can be shared, our creativity can be shared, our words spoken by another tongue in defiance of a patriarchy that works to separate us, create division, to starve us from one another. Aidid gave us some important context for the poem that she performed with Marisol. Here's Aidid. So um, growing up in Salinas, I was born in Salinas, California, and my parents were migrant farm workers. And my father was an organizer for the UFW. And I, was an, I guess I was an organizer from, a, from the get-go. Right? I was born into the movement. I didn't have a choice. <laughs> and uh, so you learn a lot about our history from oral history that our parents are talking about on the line and in meetings and union uh, gatherings. And one of the things that I always knew was that we had a very strong bond with the Filipino community. In my, in my city, but I never knew why. So I grew up knowing that these, these people were family, Filipinos were my family. Um, I, my mom swears that I spoke Tagalog, I think I just spoke food, that's all. <laughs> and the ladies of the Society of Mary were always feeding me, so I, I would learn anything to eat that food. And, uh, and it wasn't until a collaborative in Fresno, Dulce Front asked me to do a piece for children on, uh, the, uh, on the grandfathers in Deleno, the Filipino grandfathers, Manongs. And I had to do research, right, because it was a commissioned piece. So it wasn't going to come straight from the spirit. I had to do research. And, and, but I still did it. I did it um, because I knew it was part of my history. But I never understood how deep until I learned about Larry Itliang and the Manongs and what they did. And I, then I was like, wow. What a connection. I'm learning about a moment and a man who sparked my entire destiny, shaped my father's beliefs and my mother's passions before I was even a thought in their head. What a connection. And that poem, this poem uh, that I wrote for Itliang, which happened to be a second piece, because I did write one for the children to recite about the grandfathers, because the grandfathers were denied their families and denied children and grandchildren. And I wanted them to have children sing them a song. So I wrote Magandang Corazon for them in Spanish and English and uh, Tagalog, my very limited Tagalog, but from the heart. But this one, this one was about my self-discovery and those ties that we have through time and blood and the land. We are family, you and I. Children of one heart, one cause. The spirit recognizes family, even before introductions are made and lives are explained. Tu gente y mi gente somos una sola fuerza, un latido, magandang corazón. We are gathered at the Filipino Hall at sunset, the sweet-smelling ladies of the Society of Mary cooing motherly to a chicanita in Tagalog. No translation needed. I understood the words, and the sound is a soothing call from childhood. I am learning yet another crucial piece of my history, 
our story. I am learning about the shaping of my consciousness. This is the beginning of my spirit, years before I was conceived or imagined. I am feeling the tearful happiness, the sense of something lost, of stolen time. Our story, our heart, two siblings separated at birth, and here we are, embracing, finding each other at last. Time is of the essence. Stand with me. Solidarity without hesitation. We are on a journey started by our fathers, Itliong and Chavez. Hermanos, my heart sings songs, sings the chains of flowers to lay upon the grave of Itliang. I am finding myself, the whole heart, the entire story, a looping band of blood started by a man denied a family, seven fingers, a day my course was set, a day my father's course was set. Remember the day, hermanos. Remember the day, my children, September 8th, 1965, the spirit of one, the courage of one, reaches out to another, the blood calls, we are one people. You come for one, you come for all. My rebellion, born in the heart of Larry Itliang. Fathers, it Leong and Chavez, I am a woman made stronger with knowledge. We are a people made stronger in this knowledge. Un solo corazón. This is your daughter. This is your daughter blooming in your work. Generations later, cooing the words in English and Spanish. Across time, my Tagalog song, Magandang Corazón. We retreated to two more poems from Marcel and Aidid at Borderlands, and you're going to get to hear another one of those right now. But before we move on to that, I just want to say quickly, um, for anyone who doesn't know the story of Larry Itlong, he was a powerful Filipino union organizer who worked alongside of Cesar Chavez, and he helped to lead the 1965 grape strike, which was really a pivotal moment in California farming history. There's actually a really wonderful episode of the California Foodways podcast that gets into this history. It's called The Forgotten Filipino Pioneers of the Delano Grape Strike. You should check it out if you'd like to learn more. Okay, back to our poets. Nuestras casas se queman y no hay llamaradas. La calma de la noche visible engaña, no ofrece oscuridad suficiente esta noche para esconder nuestro dolor. Our houses are burning in flameless fires. The stillness of the late night hour is deceitful. It does not offer enough cover of darkness in which to hide our pain. No reconozco mi patria. No reconozco su voz. I do not recognize my country. I do not recognize its voice. Es mejor la noche. La prefiero a la mañana. Pues hasta los perros tienen que dormir y dar descanso a sus presas. I prefer the silence of the night to the blaring noise of morning. I try to take comfort in the belief that even vicious dogs must sleep when night falls. Esa es mi esperanza, la sagrada oscuridad. It is now my hope. Blessed darkness is my hope. 
cómo esconder una vida entera. I lose hope in daylight. How do you hide an entire life? Mi país no me reconoce. Será mejor que se olvide que existo, que tengo domicilio y nombre. Antes vivíamos en la bendita sombra y ni las sombras ahora ofrecen su refugio. My country does not recognize me. It would be better if I was forgotten. Forget our names, forget where we live, forget we work our lives away. We once lived in the shadows, but now even the shadows have forsaken us. I am late to pray a novena for my country, late to pay for the illusions of our collective dream. These dreams are dying, illusions of land and liberty. The sleepwalkers continue to keep their routine. Llego tarde a rezar por mi patria, su novenario. Se muere la ilusión de nuestro sueño colectivo. Se mueren las ilusiones de tierra y libertad. Los sonámbulos siguen su rutina día y noche, día y noche. Quiero darle cobija de la noche al viajero. Me trago la luz de la luna para que quede más oscura y así llegue a su destino seguro. Pero no sé en qué tierra exista eso. I want to extend the cover of night to keep the unseen unseen. Now to scramble for refuge, I swallow the moon to make the darkness complete and weep, not knowing where refuge truly exists. Thanks for listening to Calag Roots podcast number five. If you liked what you heard, you can check out other stories like this one and see some images from Borderlands of the San Joaquin Valley at www.agroots.org. And please don't forget to stay tuned. We're going to be releasing podcasts throughout the rest of this year that will let you listen to some of the other really powerful moments from the Borderlands evening. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. And uh, please subscribe and leave us a review so that others can find us. This story was produced by the California Institute for Rural Studies. And I'm Ildi Carlisle Cummins, director of the Calag Roots Project. Special thanks to the voices you heard here, including Isao Fujimoto, Janaki Jagana, Marisol Baca, and Aidid Medina. Music throughout the episode was by the one and only Lupe Martinez, um, sometimes joined by Janaki Jagana on the mic. And the Calag Roots theme music is by Nangdo. And a huge thanks to Calag Roots funders, including the Food and Farming Communications Fund and the 11th Hour Foundation. We certainly couldn't do this work without you.